Okay, I'm ready. Hello listeners and welcome back to the Cloud Choice Podcast. So last week we discussed how to build the team of the future. So if you missed it, make sure to go back and check that out for some really great insights and discussion. And today we'll be chatting about uh, how cloud natives leaders are using the cloud and what it means to their business. And along this line, I had a great opportunity to interview Adrian Cockroft, who's the Vice President of Cloud Architecture Strategy at AWS. So keep listening to discover more about Adrian's experiences with AWS, Netflix, and Cloud Native. We're really uh, honored and it's a pleasure to have you, Adrian. How are you? Uh, fine, thanks, and uh, glad to be here. Um, it's a great opportunity to have a discussion in this area. Yeah, so I understand you're now part of uh, AWS. Yeah, sure. I'm VP Cloud Architecture Strategy. So, so let me, you know, given your, your huge perspective across different industries and markets and geographies, so how, how does uh, AWS see this cloud native market uh, developing? You know, is this for real? Is it gaining momentum? And what challenges and growth potential, you know, do you see ahead? Customers are in lots of different places, right? So we have customers that have grown up in the cloud, the sort of startups that have got big, people like Netflix or Pinterest or Airbnb, Lyft. And there are other companies that are migrating some of the large uh, companies in retail, banking, um, finance, healthcare, um, who are trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves. But when you go from a data center to a cloud, there's a bunch of new things. First of all, in a data center, you tend to buy something and it sits there for three years. It's probably at the same IP address. You've paid for it up front. Um, you're continuing to pay your monthly depreciation on it, whether you use it or not. But in the cloud, you pay a month in arrears for what you actually used. And that means that if you stop, if you turn something off, you stop paying for it. And this elasticity is a key thing that uh, it's just a totally different approach. It means that it makes sense to build systems that are, have ephemeral components in them rather than being something that's a fixed asset. People tend to develop working practices based on giving stuff back because they know they can get it again rather than clinging to their servers or their infrastructure. So again, the, the agility and provisioning um, really, uh, and the, the different cost model are the thing that are completely different when you're working in a cloud native architecture. The, the other thing that we also see in this space is the adoption of uh, a PaaS, platform as a service. Can you describe a little bit more on AWS's thinking on PaaS and where it plays in cloud native? Sure. You're always going to try and create a platform. If you think about AWS as a big bag of, of building bricks, you know, Lego bricks, and we make all different shapes and sizes, um, and you're a little constrained on what each of them do, but you can assemble it into just about anything. And I think that's kind of how we think of ourselves as building these bricks. Now, you, what, when any one company like Netflix looks at this bag of bricks and says, we're going to pick this subset and we're going to arrange them in these patterns. We have a certain set of uh, regions we're going to work in and we're going to assemble our services in a certain way and we're going to develop a platform that is an opinionated way to assemble the AWS features and other things we've built and open source projects and whatever into a platform. 
So when you look at these platforms, there, there are different flavors of it. Some of them are very constraining. They're, they're like a straitjacket, and they say, don't think about all these variations. Just drop your code in here and go and do something. But for other workloads, you find this is over-constraining and you want to build a much more flexible, um, sort of more broad-based platform. And what we built at Netflix was a much more flexible system. It's longer, it takes longer to learn, to adopt. There's more variations in it and more choice, but it ends up solving some of the larger, harder problems at, at bigger scale. What we're trying to do in the whole serverless space with AWS Lambda is sort of bring together both of these. We've both got an ability to deploy things at scale in a, in a very flexible way. And it also takes away a lot of the underlying concerns about where I'm, how am I actually running these functions. So that's kind of, I think, becoming the next generation of PaaS from our, from our perspective. Part of your role is looking into open source uh, in this cloud native space. So would you be able to talk about those specifically? And what do you think the impact is for you know, established enterprises? I think we've seen most enterprises move to a, a certainly adopting open source in many space, many areas and in, in a lot of cases move to an open source first kind of model. The really running away from the licensed enterprise software space and either moving for open source or as a service, a SaaS-based product. So kind of the, the two ways that people run run systems now. So you either buy it as a service, you know, for, like for with AWS, we have a number of open source packages you can just get as a service. You don't have to think about how to run them um, or you run it yourself. So we've built AWS on open source over the years. Uh, we've, we use it internally. We've made it easy to consume and we've contributed back to a lot of open source projects from uh, the kernel. The two areas that I, my team is focused on right now are around uh, artificial intelligence, uh, deep learning frameworks and the container ecosystem in general. Those are two very sort of hot areas right now for open source. No, that, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, if you don't mind, I, I just want to go back to and reminisce a little bit to your experience at Netflix. Um, and, you know, clearly I'm sure our audience has seen a lot of your YouTube videos and SlideShare, PowerPoints, and so on. Uh, but can you just give a quick, and for those who have not, can you just give a quick context on, you know, back in 2011, 2012, in, in that time, you know, Netflix uh, really embraced cloud native. What, what triggered that and what's really been the, the, the biggest outcomes for, for Netflix? So the trigger was back in 2008. Um, I tend to see a lot of companies, They, you get some big event that causes people to stop and think and start questioning, are we doing this right? And in Netflix's case in 2008, we had a two day outage where we weren't shipping DVDs caused by data center, uh, data corruption problem, corrupted all our databases. And it made us stop and think and ask the question at executive level, are we doing this right? What should, what? What can we do? Because we, we were starting to roll out streaming and we needed a more highly available service for streaming than for DVD because you've got the DVD in your house. If shipping you know, get glitches for a few hours, it's not a big deal. A few days of outage was more of a problem. But for streaming, we needed, if we went down for a few minutes, it was going to be a problem. So we needed to build something highly available. We also 
we're running. That's the kind of the kick in the pants, if you like, that makes you stop and think. Then the other thing I typically see is there's an existential threat somewhere out there. Uh, it's either a competitive threat, but in Netflix's case, it was we were growing our streaming business so fast we didn't know how to build data centers fast enough. We didn't know how much we were going to need. We didn't have enough lead time to go and install the capacity we were going to need. So we were looking at, at for a solution here. And, and AWS was just becoming mature enough at that point to be a platform. AWS really started in 06, 07, in 08. It was just becoming the, a thing we were paying attention to. In 09, we started playing around with it. And in 2010, we moved our entire front end from sort of January to December. We worked through all of the Netflix website, one page and one API at a time, moved the entire front end to AWS. And I was basically architecting and leading a lot of the projects to um, make that transition. At the end of that point, we'd cleared out enough space in the data center by moving our front end out, but we still had all our back end systems primarily in the data center. Uh, we were still largely running on Oracle as our key backend. Um, what we'd started to do is replicate data outside Oracle. In 2011, we moved the backend, um, sort of the system of record or source of truth, to the to the cloud as well. And uh, by the end of 2011, pretty much there were just a few things left in the data center. But fundamentally, what people interacted with as a Netflix product was running pretty much completely in the cloud at that by the end of 2011. A lot of our audiences uh, are part of big enterprises and they always say, hey, we're not like Netflix. You know, our products and offers are not as intertwined as theirs. You know, our business is different. So, you know, based on your experience at Netflix and other places, what would you advise them on, hey, they, whether it's brownfield or greenfield, you know, how, would, how should they approach cloud native and what should they, what are the hardest things that they have to overcome? Yeah, I think let's, let's make, take that in two parts. I'm going to start by just saying what, why, is, why is what Netflix did interesting to, uh, to uh, ex- existing large enterprises? And uh, I, I brought up this subject uh, recently at an event, basically say, why is Netflix like BMW? Why, what, what, what do they have in common? And the transition Netflix went through was from running a DVD-based service, which had a bit of a website, but fundamentally it was a logistics problem. It was batch-oriented, and we were shipping physical inventory around. That was the problem Netflix was solving for in the first you know, five, 10 years of its life. We then started to connect directly to customers with streaming. So now we are continuously connected to customers as they consume the product, rather than indirectly shipping them a physical object. And that transition from physical to digital is the thing that a huge number of enterprises are struggling with right now. And if you think about BMW or a car manufacturer, they used to have, they built a website for selling cars and all of that. And then the car would be sold through a dealer. And then they wouldn't hear from that customer again, maybe once a year that they'd get an update from the dealer saying the mileage is this and it had these issues and whatever. So they'd go for, it was a physical uh, delivery and then you never really saw the product again, unless it something went wrong with it. And now, you switch to today, you've got uh, Car as a Sensor. This is the name of the project that BMW ran, Carasso. 
their latest cars, the 7 Series in particular, they're driving around continuously connected to BMW through a service that's running on AWS. They're reporting on traffic conditions, um, you know, roadworks, uh, what's going on in the car. So they're now seeing the customer use the car several hours a day, and they're able to aggregate this information and find out a lot more about how people drive and, and give customers a, a much more high-quality experience. And that's exactly what Netflix was doing with streaming. We were monitoring how people were consuming content, making sure we were co- personalizing it for them, optimizing their experience. And in that sense, lots of people are building out uh, systems of engagement with their customers and uh, across all industries. So that's the part of it. And it's quite often a net new system or it's driven by some kind of outgrowth of IoT or, or customer engagement. But that's the part that looks like Netflix. And that's why so many people around the world have become interested in the architecture Netflix built out to solve for that problem. So putting that on one side, then you've got all of your existing infrastructure for running factories, for looking after employees, for sales and distribution, all those kinds of things. And customers started saying, we want to shut down our data centers. We don't think we should be, there's not really any differentiation in operating a data center. So how do you close a data center? And Netflix has been through this side as well. They shut down all their corporate IT, moved it all to the cloud. So it's really two sides. One is this customer engagement, systems of engagement, digital disruption is driving one piece and the other part's being driven by, we just need, the technology refresh for a data center is now to open an AWS account and figure out how to migrate everything across. And that's really where, where Capgemini come in because as customers do this, it's a repeated model. You know, our, our systems, part, uh, our, our partner network is really building up expertise in doing this over and over again. And it, all these customers look the same. You've got SAP and you want to move it to SAP in the cloud. You've got um, whatever HR things you've built. You've got a bunch of custom soft, software. You want to lift and shift some, rebuild some. and customers say, where do I get the skills to do this? We're seeing the same thing. You know, a lot of our cloud native opportunities and engagements are all about, you know, systems of engagements, digital assets, uh, systems of innovation, you know, really trying to be uh, more agile in developing apps, right? Being able to make changes in a day. You know, one of the challenges that we also hear with with clients is, uh, you know, the they, they clearly buy the vision of cloud native and go into cloud the, the, the key, one of the key hurdles that they have is around resources, skill set, right? And I, you've probably seen it in a number of surveys that, you know, as you adopt cloud more, the challenge is, uh, you know, monitoring it as well as skill sets. So do you have any specific advice to CIOs, CTOs on how to move to this uh, world and, you know, especially with lack of skills and resources? Um, there's, there's a few different things here. One is that this is actually a simpler world. Uh, It's unfamiliar, but it's essentially simpler and easier to deal with. So don't confuse unfamiliar with, um, you know, complicated, right? It's, It's not actually harder, it's just unfamiliar. So once you get over the hump, you'll find that it's bringing people up to speed is quicker than, than you'll think. 
than you think. It's like sort of moving from relational databases to NoSQL databases. It's what is this new thing? But and then once you get into, it, is that all there is? You know, there isn't a complex SQL dialect you have to learn, and the tuning of them is very basic and simple. They just do what they do in a simple way, but you have to learn the new patterns for using them. So a lot of these transitions. Uh, and the move from on-prem to cloud, again, you're moving from a lot of handcrafted uh, infrastructure that gets very complex and everyone does things differently to here's the set of services that are there. You get you configure your networks with, uh, with VPC this way. Your instances look like this. Um, everyone, it's a much more common pattern. So because the patterns are easier to, are more constrained in some ways, and then in other ways, there obviously we have, uh, we can do things that it's very hard to do in the data center as well, like having machines with terabytes of memory or or huge amounts of GPUs, which are hard to provision or get your hands on other places. But the patterns are common. So one of the things is that is it's just learning these new patterns. So that's, and you can bootstrap obviously by bringing in expertise from outside that have already figured out these new patterns. Quite often you sent up something like a center of excellence group internally who, a cloud COI group who learn how to do that and, and get over the hump. So that's, I think, what I'm seeing uh, across, uh, across most of the industry. It's once you're there, the, the problems once you've figured out the architecture, you've got the technology figured out, then you're left with people problems. And this is the major change that we see when, as companies go through like a digital or a cloud native strategy uh, is, is mostly around in the bucket of what you might call DevOps transformation, which is moving from a stovepipe organization where you have a networking team that do all the network configuration and they don't write code. So what happens when all the networking is driven by APIs and networking can only be done by writing code. That team has to readjust and be basically blended into everything else. It's just part of the configuration of the system now. So these siloed teams then tend to be reorganized into a more cellular architecture where you have an individual, what, what Amazon calls a two pizza team that owns a service and they own everything about the service and they're on call for that service and they configure it and they have to have their own experience in networking and operations and you know keeping the lights on and figuring out how to maintain it and they have product management skills but they don't typically have much project management because projects are so short that you don't need project managers so that transformation is something that most large organizations are somewhere in the process of struggling with and it's it's really nothing to do with the technology the technology is enabling it because you're moving from a t filing tickets to get stuff done to self-service and API calls to get things done. And that, so the technology drives the change, but uh, a lot of the biggest problems people have are in actually the reorganization that's needed to effectively take advantage of DevOps and cloud and microservices to, to get the full agility that they, that they really need. Yeah, no, we absolutely agree with that as well. We're seeing that a lot of it's the culture, adoption of DevOps, different Way way of doing things, yes. Um, so let, let's just uh, close out the, uh, the 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 interview and maybe look ahead, further ahead, five to ten years from now. Where do you see cloud native, or maybe what's the next thing? I think there's a few things going on here. Um, I talk about one in the 
One that's really relevant to enterprises and, and the highly regulated enterprises and then a couple of technology things that I think are becoming <coughs> pervasive. Um, <coughs> if you think about highly regulated industries and the compliance audits and that whole space, um, this is a big struggle because we've developed patterns in the data center and for operating businesses that are very rigid and people comply to them and everyone sort of follows the process and it's pretty slow and regimented. But when you look at it from the other side, when you're in the cloud, you have a full ability to see exactly what happened to your infrastructure. There are audit logs of every API call, every configuration change, and you can see the configuration and the security configuration over time. So I think that the where I'm going with this is that in a few years time, it's going to get incredibly hard to pass an audit in a data center because the auditors will have got used to these cloud systems where information things are knowable. That new world is going to start driving high compliant workloads to only run in cloud because you can't replicate that in the data center effectively. We've been struggling with that for years. So I think that's going to flip and in maybe five years time, something like that um, will be desperately trying to dig things out of the data center because we can't pass audits with them anymore. So that's a, you know, a vision of the future. And then I think the other two areas, technology areas, I just think serverless and uh, AWS Lambda is taking off uh, incredibly strongly. And that should be, it's so f low cost to run and so rapid to build that it's uh, orders of magnitude better than other techniques at getting stuff done, for, certainly for greenfield and for rebuilding things that uh, you want to just throw away an old um, app and build it from scratch. I'd look at that first. And then just adding machine learning and AI to everything. It's just turning up everywhere as a, as a technique. Uh, it's, it's in a few years time, it's gonna be pervasive. So I think that's where we're going in the future. That's great, Adrian. No, I appreciate the, the direction and the insights. Um, I, well, it's a pleasure. It was a pleasure having you. I know I could have uh, asked a lot more questions, but I think we're out of time. So thank you for joining us and I hope we can connect again in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. I really enjoyed that uh, interview with Adrian. He covered a wide, wide range of uh, topics and clearly he's very knowledgeable and he's clearly recognized as one of the, the forefront pioneers around cloud native. And interestingly enough, he, he talked about his interactions with customers. He said that you know clients vary in, the, the, in on how they adopt cloud. And, it, and he sees that a lot of clients are basically in, in different stages of their journey to get their organizations to embrace cloud native, it really depends on the, the, the urgency, right? The degree of transformation that they need to do. It really depends on the triggers that they have. And, and that would drive the degree of adoption and the pace of adoption. You know, one, one example he mentioned is in Netflix. Um, during their Netflix days, uh, the, the, the way they got into the cloud is because of the, a glitch in their DVD supply chain when their systems went down for, for a long period of time, actually hours, I think it was days. And, but basically in, with that experience, they realized that they can't do that with their online streaming uh, business that was fast growing. So with that experience, with a clear learning platform like that, they, they had a higher degree of urgency and commitment to change, right? So they really needed to look at better solutions. 
So that's actually a good trigger. And most clients are also facing that. In, in FS, we're seeing uh, a lot of the fintechs are helping uh, you know, our banks or triggering, forcing our banks to rethink how they do things. And in, in fact, in, in one of the companies I worked with in Charlotte, uh, they basically provide retirement services, outsource retirement services to public agencies. And because they needed to triple their business uh, in two years, and they know that the way they do things, their current systems, their current processes, the way they offer products uh, was just not going to cut it um, because what it took today or before they went cloud native, what it took was months to onboard a client and they needed to get it down to, to, to weeks or even days. So with that kind of situation, they realized, hey, the way we're doing things, we got to change it. So they basically embarked on a cloud native journey a couple years ago and they went full boat. They went microservices. They went uh, worked on a past containers, DevOps. Um, so they went, the, you know, even modularize how they offer products and make it more configurable, modularable. So that kind of situation helped them trigger to a, a cloud journey. So that that's one one key trigger, right? So the other trigger that I we've seen with client is more the more proactive. The fact that you have a CIO who sees that cloud is a disruptive force, going digital is critical. And so they, they need to plan for it. Um, but the difference obviously is there's no burning platform. So what they typically do is uh, when they adopt cloud uh, with this kind of trigger is uh, it's more, the adoption is more controlled, more deliberate, uh, more focused. What about the third category, Rennie? You know, the, the, the CIO who is completely oblivious. Um, no. Uh, I know working in the, the financial services industry, say CIOs are, are definitely very, very aware of, of cloud. Um, and, and something that really stood out in the interview with, with Adrian, um, especially when, when you asked him about um, what the future of cloud was. Um, so when it came to you know, technologies like serverless, AWS Lambda, you know, machine learning, um, art, um, you know, artificial intelligence. So, so, so that bit. I mean, that, that bit. I, you know, I under, I, I understand and wasn't really too surprised about. But the the, the bit on workloads that um, require a high level of, of compliance, where where you know the auditors need to actually have have, have a trace and a log of, of, of every single transaction that, that happened. I thought that that was really um, an interesting point by Adrian to say that this would be. Um, you know, in the future of cloud would would really be for workloads that are you know that need to be highly regulated. Um, and he he was basically and this, the way he described it, you know, existing data centers. I mean, they had they were built over the last twenty years, and these data centers they don't have the ability to log every configuration change or track or audit and log what what the AI systems can do in a public cloud like I, um, AWS's. So the CIOs, um, if, if they want to guarantee that when the auditors come, that they are running the correct procedures, so in the near, near future, given the, the, the decreasing tolerance of risk, um, I don't think um, that we will see any private data centers in financial services, which is, is quite different to, some, to, to what um, a, a lot of people would think, because you, you, a lot of banks and insurance companies have been resisting moving to the cloud. But I think this new twist where the, the amount of auditing and logging is, is so comprehensive, the way it surfaced through you know, real sophisticated dashboards. And I think once the auditors, when they actually see 
and you know the level of detail and information that, that a public cloud c c can offer i think they will actually in the future insist that, that these workloads um, that's great dan uh, i didn't realize and i do agree with you that regulation compliance is another key trigger and you know like anything when you're reinventing or going through transformation it's sort of a push pull i think we talked about the push the triggers but there's also pull right there's benefits of going to cloud native and um in talking about the upside and the benefits for cloud native, there, there's really a wide range of uh, spectrum, right? On the other hand, you know, we, we're talking about reinvention, you know, really significantly changing and disrupting in an industry. And of course, if you do that, your, your hope is to become king of the hill. And that's what Netflix did and that's what Uber did. And so in, in these type of disruptions and reinvention, you know, cloud native was essential, right? To operationalize their, their model, the new model. And as part of what Adrian mentioned in his interview, he, he also brought up that, hey, it's not just these type of disruptors. It happens with enterprises. He gave an example of BMW and what they're doing with the 7 Series car. With the 7 Series car, they're going more digital and you, they're using, it, uh, using that and using cloud to enrich the customer experience. You know, they're basically going beyond you know, just attracting customers with snazzier websites, get to them to the dealer showrooms. Now they're, they're also focused on the post sales, the ongoing experience. Now they could provide real-time traffic conditions to, uh, to customers as part of what they see in, while driving the car, as well as you know, they could be more proactive with maintenance alerts. So that and along with all the sensor data, now they're learning a lot more about the customer. So what BMW is really doing is they're using this information to create services as well as to build a better car, the next iteration of the car with, with better features. So I think that, that that's key. And then on the other side of the spectrum, clearly, you know, we look at cloud native because uh, and most clients uh, see the benefits of cloud native along the lines of being more cost effective, efficient, and being more responsive to the business needs. You know, instead of provisioning environments in a matter of weeks and months, now you could do it in a matter of minutes, hours. So the same thing Adrian mentioned about pay-per-use. So, you know, by renting a data center, by renting cloud, you don't really have to worry about your data center. You don't have to worry about utilization, capacity. You can bring VMs up and down or whatever services you, uh, you, you want on the cloud up and down. And then you could also proactively manage that cost, the usage. So how about you, Dan? What do you think uh, the upside of going cloud native? Yeah, I yeah I, I also I really liked that, that story about the, you know the seven series um, BMW, and and the way the the actual the, the loop was being clo closed because you know how do how do BMW you know come closer to, to actually working out how how the, the end customer is using their product and, and how do they fill that that feedback loop you know so these systems of engagement. Um, I I had the good fortune when I worked in a previous company, um, Big Blue, IBM, where we weren't looking at the BMW um, 7 as, as being the, the object that was being monitored. It was it was looking at how could you maybe to use cloud native technology to maybe monitor the, the, the systems of a human being, you know, how, you know, your heart, blood rate, um, sugar levels, um, and actually then, you know, as you're monitoring that data, cross-referencing it with maybe some of the, the hist historical um, data about your, your, your family, about, you know, maybe some of the information that your, your, your own personal doctor has about you. So, so in a way, using that model, that, that, that system of engagement to, to better help, um, you know, monitor someone's health care. 
Um, and also a, a, a very another very interesting case I've seen on this, you know, systems of engagement um, is, f for example, in in the financial financial services. You, you know, imagine when it comes to customer service. I mean, I think traditionally when we think of customer service, we think of it as more reacting to a problem. So imagine you've 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 lost your credit card or your credit card was stolen. Um, how you know you're in a foreign country. When you ring up the, the you know the customer support team, then it, it you know there is you know a whole process to go in, in actually collecting all of the historical data. Uh, so so imagine you know th this data is, is is there. So imagine customer service where um, when somebody loses th their credit card, that some of the transactions have already been monitored by the the artificial intelligence and, and the machine learning algorithms. Um, so then can actually detect there is potentially a problem. So when, when, when the customer does ring, that all, all of that, that the data needed to actually kick off the, you know, the, 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 the refunding or the, you know, the cancelling and reissuing of a new card, all that contextual, historical contextual uh, information is there ready for the, the customer service representative to help really ease the pain and, and, and deal with the customers. So, so really, so, so I think that that's, that's something really important when, when we talk about benefits of cloud native. I think we need our listeners to understand that the benefits, they're not all about cost uh, when you come to cloud, but are also about ways of maybe democratizing or the, the, these sophisticated analytics engines, you know, this machine learning, all of this intelligence. Um, so this is available in, in these platforms and then using cloud native techniques it, it allows everybody from, from, from startups to existing large enterprise to build these innovative solutions that will really be a differentiator for, for, for the business. Yeah, Dan, I mean, that, that's great. And I, I, you know, in terms of clearly cloud and using it to constantly enhance, improve and even leapfrog the customer experiences is a clear upside. I mean, in some ways, you know, cloud is essential for all these uh, digital transformation that you mentioned. Um, in addition, I, th I think, you know, in enabling these new capabilities, new customer experience, new models, uh, a lot of clients are, are looking to cloud native just to help them do a better job in IT, right? To just help them, you know, develop software in a different way so that they could do more frequent releases, so that they could, uh, um, do smaller releases. So I was looking at a survey by Lin IX. Uh, this was, I think, late 2016. And they were looking at, uh, they, they talked to a number of companies who are adopting uh, microservices. And basically, these companies who adopted microservices deploy five times faster than those who don't. And then many of these respondents, you know, close to 70, over 70% are saying that they'll do more microservices in 2017. So clearly companies, when they start getting into cloud native microservices, they, they see the benefit. And in fact, there were some additional anecdotes that I've seen. You know, one large institution said that they, you know, we did an analysis of hundreds of projects over a multi-year period. The ones that deliver in less than a quarter succeeded about 80% of the time. Um, while the ones that lasted more than a year failed about the same rate. We simply are not very good at large efforts. So this is all part about cloud native, you know, be keeping small, smaller release, more frequent releases. And then there's another bank who mentioned, uh, hey, now with cloud native, we could launch more features per year, three times more. 
Yeah, and if we look back at, at our previous podcasts, you know, I, I really liked the you know the quote from from Abby Kearns of Cloud Foundry when she was talking, um, and she was talking about um, how how it how one large uh, financial company that they, it took normally used to take them nine months and thirty five people to create a single application. Um, and after then, using Cloud Foundry, that this particular this company, they were able to get down to six weeks w- with four people. Um, and the, the podcast where when when I spoke with Matt Stein, where he was explaining how we're getting away from delivering software as a downtime event with one or two major re- releases a year to software that is constantly changing, and we don't even notice the the subtle changes. Uh, for example, he spoke about like Amazon.com. They, it delivers software changes every 11 to 12 seconds. So in very very subtle ways. So so companies like that that are, are making uh, the deployment of software a non-event. Uh, this is where um, everybody's uh, trying to get to. Uh, basically, you know, writing software on the fly. Great, Dan. Now we've talked about the. The upside, you know, sort of the push pull of cloud native. I'm sure that our listeners, the CIOs, are now thinking, okay, so how do we make this work? Now that we want to get into cloud native, how do we make this work in real? And a, a big part that you know you've heard in previous podcasts is that the technology platform is critical. And in the interview, Adrian mentioned that AWS offers a Lego type approach in building capabilities for cloud native. So I think the question is. Would you take this Lego approach or would you take a full function, full service pass like a cloud foundry? Uh, which one is better to use? What are the pros and cons? I think to answer that question, I, I don't know if it's really pros and cons. I think it's more about, you know, each client is or enterprise is different. Uh, it's more considerations to think about. One, it's really a trade-off of whether you'd like a more turnkey solution or whether you want to customize and tailor it to the way you do things. Uh, another consideration is time to value. And then the third one is the skill set that you have, the maturity of your in-house capability, how mature you are in terms of cloud native uh, capabilities, containers, DevOps, and so on. Um, with, a, with a full function pass like Cloud Foundry, you know, there's a higher degree of platform abstraction that's built in for both developers and operations. It is a more turnkey solution and it's quicker to get it up to speed on. You know, with a pass, with a full function pass, a developer can simply deploy an application with one command and then, you know, operation does not have to be involved, whether it's in provisioning or deploying the environments. With a pass, a a developer can also take advantage and bind uh, their apps to many readily available services. Uh, some of it's third party, you know, whether it's caching, whether it's messaging, whether it's around databases or whether it's using a machine learning service. Um, in addition, if you think about a pass, you know, DevOps of, you know, continuous integration, continuous delivery is kind of built in. It's really, it helps enforces those practices. And finally, from an operation standpoint, a lot of the operational work can be done on the fingertips. It's really click to deploy, click to, to provision, click to scale. You could be more proactive in monitoring. So, you know, in terms of if you want a full function pass, clearly it's more turnkey. It's there's quicker time to value. And if you don't, you know, if your if your skill set is not there, it's definitely worth looking at. Uh, Lego approach, on the other hand, allows you to tailor and integrate more closely to what to do the way you want to work. 
So, uh, you know, Netflix was a good example. They did this with AWS. And actually, at that time, they were forced to because there was not a full function pass available, and they created their own. But at the same time, now, Netflix is offering a lot of their services and pass capabilities as uh, OSS. So, but I've run across clients who do that too, you know, because they want to leverage their own experience around, for instance, OpenStack, they, they leverage uh, a pass around that. And they want to be more flexible in the kind of containerization they use, whether Docker or something else. They wanted to be able to do that, so they use a, a Lego approach. Um, the other thing, the, the, the reality is uh, there's really no right or wrong answer because, uh, uh, you know, most likely clients would take a multi-pass approach or multi different approaches for the cloud. So how about you, Dan? What, what do you think? Uh, do you think the clients have to make a choice? So I, the, 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 you know, the, the way Adrian spoke about AWS, about providing a, a set of building blocks, um, of course, is, is, is something that I think is really, really interesting, building solutions like that. So in, in a way, he was, Adrian, I think he was suggesting that AWS will be the platform and he hinted at this when he spoke about the future of cloud. For example, when he, he spoke about serverless um, and, and Lambda, which is really interesting, you know? I mean, the, the Amazon providing the API gateway and behind it, you know, s you know spinning up just a mo uh, uh, enough computing power to actually execute that, 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 that API. Um, so I, I, I did like the, the, the Lego analogy. Um, but that being said, um, I have also, when I've spoken to some of our more our larger enterprise um, customers, um, and, and as an example, one of the, the enterprise customers I was working with um, quite recently, um, I was involved in, in, in building their cloud strategy. Um, so, and one of the, the, the so this large, this large bank had recently defined its business strategy where the, the public cloud was going to be front and center in building be better systems of engagement with its customers. Um, and you know, they, had, they have committed to allowing all of their different business units to, to develop business solutions using public cloud services, which is, 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 is a, a big commitment by, by this bank. And one of, one of their concerns was the, the portability between different uh, cloud uh, providers. I mean, what happens if you, if you fall, out of, fall out of love with one of your cloud service providers? How do you maintain that portability? Um, so if, for example, if you're using all of the servers for, from an AWS or, or an IBM Bluemix or, or, or an Azure, then you really are, you are tied into that cloud service provider. Um, uh, and also, for example, the complications in the governance, um, the, the risk and compliance checks and balances you know, that need to be put in place. Okay? So um, in, in terms of, of, of this uh, particular uh, strategy, it, it, you know, we did suggest using uh, something like Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And in using Pivotal Cloud Foundry, you know, we did suggest using two different types of DevOps, te DevOps teams. So have, have de a, a DevOps team responsible for maintaining the platform. So within a Pivotal Cloud Foundry, we would make, they were going to make Pivotal Cloud Foundry available on AWS, on Azure and privately. And, and within the actual catalog within um, PCF would be the list of, of services that had gone through the actual compliance and risk checks of, of the bank. 
um, and this allowed then separate DevOps teams who were building the business solutions to build their solutions against a set of services in Pivotal Cloud Foundry that had been given the, the go-ahead and the check by the governance and, and compliance teams and the security teams uh, within the bank. So, so in, in that way, it's kind of using a platform like PCF as a, as a power adapter between the different um, uh, cloud service providers. So in a way, uh, allowing this, this um, cloud platform portability between the different uh, cloud service providers, which is, is a slightly different way to, to, to you know, if running and building your applications against a, a whole load of services for, from one cloud service provider. So it's, it is interesting to see the different perspectives or the different um, ways of, of looking at, at how you build a cloud strategy and, and, and how do you consume the services from the different um, cloud service providers. That makes sense, Dan, and I clearly agree that uh, portability is key, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud is reality for our enterprises and they need to be able to, to, be able to handle that. And uh, it looks like we've come to the end of our fifth podcast. We'll back, be back next time around the topic of how to make it happen in the three E's, educate, enable, and enforce. In the meantime, do get in, do get in touch with us. You can find me on Twitter at Rene Claudio, R-E-N-E-C-L-A-U-D-I-0. Uh, feel free to, to contact me. Be happy to connect. And you can also, uh, you can tweet me also. Um, I'm at Dan O'Riordan. Um, and if you'd like to know more, you can also find our research on cloud native applications. So it's called Cloud Native Comes of Age. And you can find that at www.capgemini.com forward slash cloud native, all one word. Well, have a so, great week, Dan. And thanks everyone for listening. Talk to you and see you next time. <laughs>